Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus is speaking. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you've paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. Father, some heavy words tonight, but they are your words, your words that you spoke to your disciple, your disciples on that Mount of Beatitudes so many years ago. And Lord, we're gathered here tonight because we also want to be your disciples. We want to follow you with all that we are. And so tonight, I pray that you'd make us sensitive to your word and to your voice. Lord, we're not here on a Wednesday night to play church. We're not here to fill some kind of time gap. We want to meet with you. We want you to do eternal things in our heart tonight. And so I pray that your spirit would be thick in this room tonight and that you, Lord, would be our teacher, that you would minister to us. And we pray that in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, sometimes the words that we use and the actions of our life don't necessarily match what's going on in our hearts. Those of you that are parents, boy, you know that is true sometimes with your little precious angels. Oh, especially when they're young. 
They're young, and, 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 and my little one, my little Aaliyah, she's sick. She's been having the urge to regurge. Sorry about that. But all, you know, just she's not feeling well. And as she's been going through, you know, you, you say to them, hey, I think we need to go to the doctor. Friends, that's healing words to little kids. That really is. The doctor, the doctor, where I might get a shot, I can see the gears going. I'm fine. I really am. I'm okay. No, you're not. I am. I promise. No doctor. And their words are saying, I'm fine. But the greenness on their face is saying, I'm not fine. You know, sometimes when they get out of line and you confront them as a parent, hey, 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 that's wrong. And you say, apologize to your father. I know sometimes I get that look. Sorry. But oh, the eyes. The eyes are saying, if I was bigger, I would wipe the floor with you, pops. That is the idea. Because sometimes our words don't match what's going on in our hearts. And though that's true in little ones, guess what? Those little ones grow up and we become adults. And we struggle with the same exact things in our hearts and in our lives. Now, as a disciple, Jesus is saying, that is not the way you are to be. There's not to be this vast difference between who you are inwardly and the actions that are going on outwardly. It's the next lesson in his words, his words to his disciples. We've been going through this Sermon on the Mount as we've been looking at being discipled by Jesus. Those words that Jesus shared, not with the multitudes, not not with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but just those men who wanted to be used for him for the rest of their lives. And as he's pouring through them, he's given them first the Beatitudes, those kingdom attitudes that if they would get them into their hearts, if we would get them into our hearts and our minds, Jesus is telling us that it's the smile of God that we'll sense in our lives. His approval on our hearts, not because we've earned it or deserved it, but we're just living with kingdom attitudes. And though our world sometimes collapses, we can still have joy abounding because we have these kingdom attitudes in our hearts. And then, last week we discovered that not only are we to have those kingdom attitudes for us, but we're also to have those kingdom attitudes not just to be lived in remote Christian villages, but in the culture and the community in which Jesus has placed us in. We are to be salt and light as the people that God has surrounded us with. Now Jesus goes even further. And he's saying that there's also to be a difference not just between you and the world. There, there better be a difference between us and the unsaved world around us. But Jesus goes even further, friends. He says there's to be a difference between you as a disciple and the religious world. Those that are just going through the motions. Those that are playing church. Those that are putting on a show. There should be a vast difference between you as a disciple and someone that fits into that category. And in Jesus' day, who he was thinking about were the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, these religious leaders of the day. They were notorious, a lot of them, for having what was going on inside be vastly different than how they lived outwardly. And they actually had the audacity to accuse Jesus of trying to destroy the law. Just because he healed people on the Sabbath. Oh, yeah, you can't heal people on Saturday because that hurts God's heart. Huh? But he would do that. And they'd say, that's not our tradition. That's not our law. And they were actually accusing Jesus 
of trying to break down the law. And those that thought that, thought that he was against the law, he offers this radical disclaimer in verse 17. He says, do not think that I came to destroy the law. I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Friends, with this one statement, we forever understand God's heart toward the law. He doesn't want to abolish it. He wants to correct the perversion that man and tradition has heaped upon it. Man has weakened it. Jesus says, the law's not going anywhere. He goes on to say that not one jot or one tittle is going to pass away till all the law is fulfilled. Now, a jot was like an apostrophe in the Old Testament. There are 66,420 of those. I counted them today when I had nothing to do. No, just kidding. I didn't. But what Jesus is saying is even the apostrophes and the language is even further, even the space between the letters, none of that's going to pass away till the law is fulfilled. In fact, in his constantly saying it is written in chapter 5 it could literally be translated it is written it is written and it will always be written the law is good friends what's wrong with the law our ability to keep it we can't keep the law in fact the law shows us our great need for a savior jesus says i didn't come to get rid of the law i came to fulfill the law and he did From the time he was an infant, growing up his parents and then he himself, when he was old enough, subjected himself to all the religious observance of the law. He was circumcised on the eighth day, presented to the Lord as a child. He kept all the feasts of God as he said. In fact, you guys know, he never sinned. And even more than fulfilling the law, he he was the fulfillment of all of those sacrifices, all those bulls and those goats that, that were offered. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. He was the fulfillment of what man desperately needed. Galatians 3.24 says this, the law was our tutor, our teacher, to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith in him. You see, the law is good because it gets you and I to see we need the fulfillment of the law, Jesus. We need him as savior in our lives. We need him to go to the cross for us. Jesus said, I haven't come to to take away the law, to fulfill it. And he even goes on to say in verse 19 that we need to follow after it. We need to teach others to do so in fact he would have blown the disciples' minds when he says in verse 20, in fact, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, hey, you can't enter into my kingdom. They would have thought, he's lost his marbles. He's gone insane. You see, we equate Pharisees with hypocrites. We equate scribes with the fakers of Jesus' day. But understand, in the disciples' mind, they were the religious right. They were the pastors and missionaries, the, the, the really holy people. Man, they, they were known. They, they would go through when the Pharisees would tithe. You Bible students know this. They wouldn't just tithe 10% of their money. They'd go into their gardens, and they'd be like, nine, you know, berries for me, one for the Lord. Nine little pieces of mint for me, one for the Lord. As they'd walk around town, they were known as the bump and stumbling Pharisees because they were so into not lusting upon a woman at least outwardly that they would cover their head and then walk around and just kind of bam 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 and they go look at those guys bumping and stumbling look at how holy they are 
And so for Jesus to say, your righteousness has to exceed, he's he's gone insane. But what they didn't yet understand, and Jesus will teach them, is you see, again, the Pharisees were good at doing it outwardly. They were good at doing it for a show, but they were missing the inward reality of loving God from their heart. And Jesus takes six Old Testament examples, friends, you note takers, six Old Testament examples, a couple that we'll look at tonight, the rest we'll look at next week. And as he takes these Old Testament examples, he's going to show them how the Pharisees would observe the outward observances of the law, but they were missing the heart, and by that, missing the heart of God completely. And what would be really good, maybe really hard, but really good for all of us here tonight, is as we go through these this week and next, it would be really good for us to search our own hearts. You see, it's one thing to come to a Bible study, take notes. Oh, I like worship. I understand that. But it's a whole other thing to say, God, I'm here because I want you to minister to me. I want you to shine the light of your Holy Spirit deep into my heart that I might be changed, that I might be altered by your word. So I think it'd be great as we go through these for you and I to say, Lord, who am I more like? Am I like the Pharisees who are just going through the motions or am I really living for you with all of my heart? Does our heart match our actions? It might be a painful look, but it's one I think those of us who want to be disciples must take. So what are these Old Testament examples? The first one for you note takers is the example of murder. Murder, look in verse 21. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. But whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if, you're, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, go your way, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison." Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you've paid the last penny. Jesus begins by saying, you've heard it said. And what he's referring to is you've heard the Pharisees say. You've heard the Pharisees say, you shall not murder. That's the law. And then, of course, they would piously look at their audience and say, I have never killed anyone. Yay! I'm a keeper of God's law. I have never actually put anybody to death. Aren't I holy? And Jesus is saying, "Um, you've never put anybody to death. Really, you want a gold star? I mean, seriously? But Jesus says the heart of the law goes further. It's not that you actually haven't put anybody to death. It's that as a disciple, you are not harboring bitterness and anger in your heart. You see, the Pharisees, though they had never put anybody to death, 
They were bitter towards people. They were angry toward individuals. And by that, they were missing the heart of the law. Friends, the word of God for us is we need to let bitterness and anger go. Now listen, that doesn't mean there's never a time to be angry. Jesus got angry over sin. It was Jesus who entered his father's house and said, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. Remember what he did next? Made that whip, turned over the tables. I love that picture of Jesus. So often we see pictures of Jesus in our little children's Bible and he's this emaciated, you know, Swedish man, just kind of, you know. And it's like that, that wimp that's on those pages couldn't do what I read in the Bible. That was not Jesus. Jesus was angry at, again, the hypocrisy going on in the temple. In the temple, and so there's a time to be angry. You turn on the evening news, and it makes you angry. You're angry where their world's going. You go, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe that judgment came down from that court. How? How is that? All the injustice, all the sin. It's okay to be angry at sin. It's okay to have injustice bother your heart as a Bible-believing Christian. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying when you're angry with your brother, with those that God intends you to have relationship with. And the way it works out, friends, ah, it starts by harboring bitterness and it goes to using unkind words like raka. Well, I've never used the word raka, so I'm good. Oh, friends, the word raka means empty-headed. Uh-oh. I've used that term before. And then the term you fool is the Greek word moros. And from that we get our English word moron. But not called people that too. (laughs) But it wasn't just speaking of a person's IQ, but his moral condition. Bible teacher F.B. Bruce perfectly summarizes these two words. He says this, Raka expresses contempt for a man's head. Moros expresses contempt for his heart and his character. You see, the Pharisees would go, hey, that guy's empty-headed. That guy has no character. That guy's not walking with God. And they were walking around with this hate in their hearts. And Jesus is saying, you that want to be disciples, this can't be you. In fact, Jesus goes on to show how serious he is when he says, even if you're coming to worship, even if you're coming to the temple to offer your, your gift to the Lord, and you realize, hey, somebody has something against me. Jesus says, you've got to stop and go and get right. And I think the significance of what Jesus is saying is so important. We can often kid ourselves. We sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our personal relationships, in our private lives, but then we somehow think, but because I'm involved in Christian service, hey, I give to the Lord my money, my time, my talents. I serve in children's ministry. I love to worship. And we somehow kid ourselves, though we would never say it outwardly, that somehow we're balancing the evil in our hearts with the good deeds we're involved in. Friends, that is not biblical at all. Jesus is telling us we need to deal with our hearts. We need to deal with our bitterness and we need to deal with it fast. Why? Because it will destroy you you it'll destroy you 
You see, that's the rub. We're so angry at that person over there. Not you guys over there, but you know what I'm saying. We're angry at him or her because we've been wrong. We've been... But our bitterness doesn't affect them at all. It affects you. In fact, I remember, so sad, when I was doing high school ministry here, we, we had a guy that, he showed up for a little while and he said, hey, I, I want to get involved. I want to get involved in high school ministry. I said, great, show on up, come on up and get to meet the kids and hang out with them for a while. And if you still feel like this is the Lord, then man, we'll, 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 we'll get you some kids to disciple and oh, there's so much you can do. Yeah, show up, show up. And he did for a week or two and then I never, well, it was a year and a half till I saw him again. And the first couple of weeks I tried to call him, you know, hey, I, haven't, I thought you wanted to serve in ministry. You know, where are you? And, and, and no call back and I may have called him one more time and then... I'm just too busy. So unfortunately, there wasn't a third call. And then a year and a half, this bro shows up. In fact, it happened right behind the glass, right over there. And he like walks right up to me and he says, I have been so angry at you for 18 months. I haven't been able to sleep and hardly eat for a year and a half because of you. And I looked at this guy and he did. He looked beat down. He looked, oh, he looked like he had missed a year and a half of sleeping meals. And I looked at him and I just, I thought, well, I said, what did I do? And he goes, that look you gave me. That look? What? Maybe I didn't have my iced tea that morning. I mean, it's Sundays are early. What do you, what do you mean that look? Did you, did you talk to me? No, 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 you, you don't like me because of that look. And then I just thought, how sad. I mean, for that year and a half, I slept great. (laughs) I didn't miss a meal. (laughs) And and it just hit me. It's like, that's the problem with bitterness. It doesn't affect the person you're bitter at. It affects you. It rips off that fellowship between you and God. It destroys the ministry that he wants you to be involved in. It's why a true disciple needs to let it go. Paul told the Ephesian church, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You see, there's the key. I don't know about you. I've been forgiven a whole lot from Jesus Christ. I have had attitudes and shook my fist at the heavens. I've known what to do and done the opposite. (gasps) I have. I have. I've broken the heart of the one that loves me so much. And when I repent, God doesn't look at me and say, oh, how could you? Oh, I'm so angry. So bitter. No, you guys know. I think you know. Unless you're super holy, I think you know. He wraps his arms around you. And he says, I love you. Welcome back. Welcome back into fellowship. Welcome back into worship. This is why I died. It's why the veil is ripped from the top and the bottom. I want to hang out with you. That blows my mind. And when I really see that, when I really realize that, I say lovingly, then how dare I be bitter at anyone? I've been forgiven so much. You see, it's not that the feelings aren't real. It's not that the offense isn't real. You have been offended. You have been really hurt. 
It's that those offenses, those hurts have really been dealt with at the cross of Calvary. And friends, Jesus' death was enough. It was enough. So you have got to let it go. What if the person doesn't say he's sorry? I didn't read that. Did you? Did you read that? If Jesus said he's sorry. Now listen, I'm not saying the relationship might, has to be restored. There's a lot of stuff that has to happen for a relationship to be restored. There has to be repentance. There's got to be a mutual, we want to work this out. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is you need to let it go. You need to not be imprisoned by bitterness and wrath anymore. If you are angry at someone who's sitting in this room tonight, you need to let it go. If you're angry at me, I don't know what I did, but if I looked at you funny, let me know. Don't sit in your room and think about me. That's weird. That's, we don't want that. That's awkward. No, get it right or you'll be a story a few years from now in a Bible study. You don't want that. You don't want that. So get right tonight. We want to be disciples. What do we do? We let the wrath and bitterness go. Second, second, second one. That's all we'll do tonight, but second one. Second one has to do with adultery. Look at verse 27. He says, you've heard it said, this is again, you've heard the Pharisees say, that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. Jesus again starts with the religious pride. I have not committed adultery. And that's what the Pharisees were saying. I have not technically ever cheated on my wife. But what we will discover is in reality, more in our study next week, when we look at Jesus' stance on divorce, what they were doing is they were going through wives like someone would go through tissues in a Kleenex box. Because to them, it was just a matter of paperwork. And so they could legalize their lust with just a matter of paperwork. And what was going on in their hearts, it was, it was wicked as well. So they were saying religiously, I have never committed adultery. But Jesus goes right for the heart when he says, I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery in his heart. Friends, Jesus' standard of moral purity has been broken by every single one of us in the room tonight. If you say no, you are lying. You are lying. It has been broken by every single one of us. And what that should produce is, first of all in us, a compassion for those that actually have fallen into adultery, for those that actually have fallen into fornication. It breaks my heart that the church has such a, such a tendency to turn on its own, to beat those that are already beaten down by the enemy, Oh, don't misunderstand me. When a leader falls, there's things that have to happen. He has to 
take a break from that leadership at the very least. That, that, that's biblical. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about then ostracizing a person. Then not fellowshipping, not caring, kicking them to the curb. Friends, that is so not the heart of Jesus. And we need to realize that the only reason all of us haven't gone down that road is the grace of God. Because all of us have gone down that road in our hearts. It should produce in us a compassion for those who have fallen, but also, again, a poverty of spirit that makes us so blessed that God would love sinners like you and like me. That he loves us knowing what is going on in our hearts. Again, the Pharisees, they were so strict again what they did outwardly, but we have an idea from the scriptures what was going on in their hearts. God gave a vision to one of the prophets about what was happening in the priest's hearts. And as he looked inside these secret chambers of the temple, there were these pictures of pornography and all kinds of sin, these graphic images of lust and uncleanness. And so you have, a, you have this idea. That even though the guys were walking around town saying, I won't look, I won't look, and they're bumping into walls and stuff, in their hearts, it was absolute and complete wickedness. And Jesus says that is not the heart of a disciple. Now, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. He is not saying that if you hate someone, well, then just go ahead and kill them because it's the same. If you lust towards someone, oh, just go ahead and commit adultery because it's the same. That is not what Jesus is saying. It's not the same. It's not the same to our government. They don't put you to death for hating somebody or all of us would be in big trouble. Adultery and lust is not the same. Jesus' point is not that it's the same, so go ahead and do it. It's that we need to drop the religious pride that says, I've never actually killed. I've never actually crossed the line and committed adultery. We need to come to him and say, Lord, I'm wicked before you because I do have bitterness and I do have lust, but I want to be your disciple, so I need to let it go. We are to let go of lust just like we're to let go of angerness and bitterness. That word lust, it means a prolonged look to satisfy some sort of desire. A long look in order to satisfy some sort of desire. It's different from the fact that you have eyes and you, you, that person is good looking. It's the second look. It's the prolonged stare. It's the satisfying something in your heart. We don't have to be bumping stumblers here tonight. You don't have to walk out and go, I'm trying to fulfill Jason's Bible study. Bam, bam, you know, get me out of the parking lot. No, no, it's different. It's different. It's this prolonged look, but we do need to deal radically with our lust. I mean, you can't read the words that Jesus said and not come away with an understanding that Jesus thinks you need to deal radically with the lust that hides in your heart. Now, what are we to do? Are we really to cut out our eyes? Are we really to get rid of hands and feet? But if that's the case, there's a lot of people with two eyes in this room that probably shouldn't be. I don't believe so. I don't believe so because if you cut out your eyes, your mind's eye would take over and you'd still have to deal with lust. In fact, the sad truth is there have been those in church history that have taken this passage literally and literally mutilated themselves. 
And the sad part is then every one of them go on to write, I still struggle with lust. Now that's a bummer. <laughs> Man, I've got no eyes that I personally took out and I'm still struggling. That, did, you weren't literal? You know, that would be my, my understanding. Friends, we have from church history that this is not the case. I believe Jesus, though, is calling us to be radical. If your eye caused you sin, pluck it out. That is, don't look. Become blind to those things which stumbled you by not looking at them anymore. If your hands or feet caused you to sin, cut them off. That is, don't go there anymore. The biblical idea is we need to run from sin like Joseph ran from Potiphar's wife. That's the opposite of what we normally do. Normally we're like, don't catch me. (laughs) That's what we normally do. We need to run, gang. Run. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says flee sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians 6.10. It says to flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness in 2 Timothy 2.22. And if you notice, Jesus doesn't say cut out your eye because it's the first step to recovery. No, he says it's more profitable. He's trying to get them to see the seriousness of sin and the importance of dealing with it quickly and decisively as a disciple. Friends, the time to tolerate our sin hopefully should be over for you and I. Over. Oh, we're still sinners. We're still going to fall. But to tolerate it and coddle it and make excuses for it like we so easily do. Friends, that needs to be done. We need to take inventory as disciples. We really do. What blesses my life? What blesses my walk with God? Hopefully on that list, coming to Wednesdays and Sundays. That blesses my life, hopefully. Hopefully I grow. Good, good. Don't grow weary and well-doing. Keep coming. Maybe getting up in the morning and spending some time going through the Bible. Whether going through the one-year Bible or just picking a book and going through it. Whatever it is to go through God's word, that'll bless your soul. But we also need to flip the coin over and realize what tears at my walk with God. And if we're disciples, maybe we need to pluck those things out tonight. Maybe you need to get rid of the internet at your house. (gasps) What? What? Can life exist without being online? It did for a lot of years. It really did. There was life before Facebook. (gasps) There was. And what I'm saying is this. Not, Not legalistically, the internet is bad. I don't believe that at all. But if that's your stumbling point... You need to be honest and deal with it. At the very least, get a filter. Give, let your wife set the code. She'll help you with accountability. Sweetie, can I have the pass while you're gone? <laughs> that, was, that conversation will never happen. You're great. You're great. What I'm saying is deal with it. It's TV tearing you down. Again, Jesus is more profitable that we deal with it than we don't deal with it we realize it's a sin that is tearing us to the gates of hell we need to deal with it we need to deal with it honestly and forcefully now obviously just getting rid of things won't clean the heart but you know what will David said how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word and the cleansing starts as I let the Lord do spiritual surgery and just say hey that that needs to go 
That needs to be adjusted. That needs to be cut off in your life. That thing can't be tolerated anymore. And then, then I get into the word. I begin to memorize scripture and let him cleanse my heart. You see, it's the word. Paul calls it being washed with the water of the word in Ephesians 5. And sometimes we just need to take a spiritual bath that we can truly be disciples. We need to let the wrath and the bitterness go tonight. We need to let the lust that's hiding in our heart die tonight. Now, some of you are saying, well, it's a nice two-point sermon there, Pastor. Oh, I almost fell. (laughs) But, But easier said than done. Because for some of you, the hurt's too real. You've been wronged. And it's just easy for some pastor to say, Let the bitterness go. Uh, I don't know about that. Some of you, the lust, you're too in bondage right now. And you want to be free. You want to let that go to the foot of the cross, but it's so hard. Before we wrap up tonight, we just need to remember the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount. The purpose of the Sermon on the Mount. Because it's not going to get any easier. You can skip ahead to verse 50. We'll cover it next week, but Jesus doesn't lower the bar. In verse 50, he just throws out for all those that think they're doing well. So why don't you be perfect like my heavenly Father in heaven is perfect? Oh, thanks, Jesus. (laughs) Thanks for setting the bar so low. (laughs) Awesome. But I think all this together, we need to understand the purpose. There's really two purposes. Number one, the Sermon on the Mount is to direct us in Christ. Not drive us in Christ, as it might say on the screen, but direct us in Christ. Direct us in Christ. You see, I I read the word and I see that this, I must have these attitudes and be salt and light and not just outwardly say it's great, I haven't killed anyone or ever crossed the line. I'm gonna deal with, with, with with the lust and the bitterness in my own heart. I'm directed in Christ, but sometimes if that's all I grab onto, boy, I realize I'm not doing very good. And even if I can somehow think through it and fake through it, I get to verse 50 and I realize, uh uh-oh, I'll never be perfect. And then I just get depressed. Bummer. There's another side to the Sermon on the Mount. And that's not just direct us in Christ, but to drive us to Christ. Now, so the problem is sometimes we grab on just that. We go, would you hide this all too hard? I'm too bitter. I'm too in bondage to lust. I'll never be perfect. so, so, So I don't have to even try. I don't have to even try. Wrong as well. If I want to be a disciple, I come to Jesus and I do both. I'm I'm driven to Christ. Lord, if the standard is perfection, (laughs) it's not going to happen. I need you. I need you as my Savior. I need you as my Lord. I I I need you. Jesus, save me. But then I don't say, it then doesn't matter how I live because I'm saved by Christ. I also realize I need to be directed in Christ. God, you do care about my bitter heart. God, you do care about my lustful eyes. So, Lord, I know I'm not saved by those things. But I want you to direct me into those things. So I can be both positionally righteous. I know you know this because I learned this from our pastor. Positionally righteous, what does that mean? I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross. Glory, hallelujah, amen, end of story. Jesus is why you and I go to heaven. Amen? 
But Jesus doesn't want to just make you positionally righteous. He wants to develop practical righteousness in your life as well. And that happens as we are driven to Christ and then say, Lord, direct me by the power of your spirit that you can deal with these things going on in my heart and in my life. Amen? Here's what I want to do. We got 15 minutes. I want to worship the Lord. Because I think it is so important tonight that we let this go from our heads to our hearts. It's not about just hearing a Bible study. It's not about just studying the Word. It's letting the Word study you and show you what needs to be altered by the power of His Spirit. And so tonight, I I think, with the subject of bitterness and lust, it's got to be about two-thirds of the room affected. That's, you know, maybe there's a few of you that just, I don't deal with either of those things. That's so awesome. You can share with me your secrets later. But the reality is, most all of us can come down in one of those two camps. Tonight, you need to let it go. If your deal is bitterness... Tonight, you need to take that to the foot of the cross. It's why Jesus died. He died for that sin, that offense to you. You've got to let it go before it destroys you. You can't justify it and say, well, I've never yelled at that person. I've never... No, you need to let it go tonight and let Jesus deal with it at the foot of the cross. But for those of you that are like, well, I've never, I've never, I'm I'm not an angry person. Good. Well, then the other side of it, if you struggle with lust, guess what? That too needs to be taken to the foot of the cross because Jesus died to set you free from that as much as he died to set the person that is struggling with anger and bitterness free. He died to set you free from that too. There is victory and freedom in the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. There is ability to change hearts in the power of the word, in the power of the spirit. So we're gonna take just a few minutes and really, you know what I like to do tonight? Normally we have men and women forward. Tonight, sorry, ixnay. We'll get back to that next week. I want you and Jesus to spend a couple of minutes together talking it through. You'll be honest to him. Let him deal with you. Bring it before him. Let him search your heart. Let him put the finger of his Holy Spirit upon you saying, search my heart. Lord, what is there? Is there any unclean thing within me? And let him deal with it tonight. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm sure the worship team will be up here in a second. So let's pray. Here we go. Father, thank you so much for who you are. And I pray right now, right now tonight, that you would search our hearts. God, we don't want to be like the scribes and the Pharisees. That because they they observed some outward parts of religion, they felt good about themselves. Lord, we want you to go deep into our hearts. And for those precious men and women tonight that are in bondage to bitterness, God, tonight by your spirit, set them free. Set them free. I pray they would take that wrong that's been done to them by a parent, by a friend, by a loved one, and tonight they would just lay it at the foot of your cross and let your blood cover that sin and cleanse their own heart. God, I also pray for those precious men and women in this room that are in bondage to lust. And it's working its way out in their hearts tonight, Lord. May they take that bondage and lay it at the foot of the cross that you would free them from that bondage, 
that you, Lord, you would give them victory in their heart and in their lives. God, may you deal with us tonight as we worship you, as we take a few minutes to just let our hearts be open before you that you might do some spiritual surgery. Father, finally, I pray for anyone in this room tonight that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that tonight would be the night that they would give their heart and their life to you. And if you're sitting here and you're hearing these words and you know you're separated from God, friends, tonight is the night to come to him. Whether for the first time or you're just coming back, you need to cry out to him, Lord, I need you. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I need you, so come into my heart, come into my life, and be my Savior, and be my Lord, for tonight I give my life to you. God, work in your church, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.